Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is Me Too. And my name is BJ. And this week, we're kicking off a new format for our show where we review even more shows in a single episode to cover more ground for you, our listeners. So stay tuned to hear our opinions on The Witcher, Truth Be Told, Dare Me, Fast and Furious Spy Racers, Deputy, and Astronomy Club, The Sketch Show. And we won't be insulted too much if you fast forward to the show that you want to learn most about, but we do hope you check it all out. Timestamps will be in the show notes. Cool. So let's get started with The Witcher on Netflix. Beach, what were your thoughts? So this is a really cool fantasy series, and I thought it was great to see Henry Cavill back in a leading role since they kind of canceled the Superman movies. And I liked his action scenes. I want to see more magic. And I think this is a cool start. What did you think? What were your first impressions? So I feel like I talk about my partner every time we bring up a fantasy or a sci-fi show, but he loves the Witcher games. And so he was incredibly interested in watching this. So I waited to watch the pilot episode with him and he loved it. And I thought that for people who are not experienced in The Witcher, which is me, then the show does a pretty decent job of world building so you understand basic characters, their backgrounds, and where the story is likely going. So did you feel like you were really brought into this world well enough? Because we have to be introduced to a whole kingdom of Sintra and a kingdom of Nilfgaard. We're getting hints about magic. We're seeing monsters. We're seeing wars, a princess on the run. There is a lot to take in in this first episode. That's true. I certainly did get confused a couple times, but I think with the show coming to Netflix, they intentionally made this first episode easier to follow for the majority of viewers who are likely like me and lack the background knowledge on The Witcher. And I like that we can get into this a little bit, the discussion of his role, which The Witcher is a sort of mutant human monster for hire who kills monsters. And we get to immediately start exploring the theme, which I think they'll do throughout the series of what makes a monster. And he's so neutral because he's a killer for hire that his lens is helpful to view the show because he has a neutral perspective. Yeah, and that neutrality is interesting because it ties to his character. We're told by a sorcerer he meets, Stregoborn, that witchers, and that's what Geralt is, he is a witcher, have no emotions. They don't feel anything. Yes, and I think if you're introducing me to several concepts and themes that I'm unfamiliar with, I guess a neutral set of black eyes are the (laughs) helpful way to view this world. Can we pause and just talk about Henry Cavill was so committed, he wore those contact lenses that physically damaged his eyeballs? Y'all, we could take a, a sidestep into Lesson Town. Don't ever give all of yourself to a job, especially not your corneas. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It's not worth it. Agreed. So did you have any other favorite performances of people who gave all of themselves or maybe like 95%? So I do want to take a second to say that Henry Cavill was great in this role. I read a review that specifically talked about his voice as the Witcher because he captures the energy from the game narration so well. And I just thought he was so good in this role as this gruff guy who has these soft moments and lets on that the Witcher is probably not as neutral as we think. I also loved Princess Ciri, 
who we're about to see do great things in future episodes, I think, and her grandmother, the queen. Yeah, and I think that brings up something cool that I liked about the show. Even though it's called The Witcher and it's about Geralt, the creators aren't afraid to go down these kind of simultaneous storylines. So we do spend a lot of time with Geralt meeting Renfri and going on those adventures, but then also Princess Ciri and dealing with the Sintra kingdom having to go into battle. Now it's going to seemingly come together, but they're not afraid to let the storylines diverge. He will likely connect with Ciri in the forest, and then their missions will align. But I didn't mind seeing Nilfgaard invading Princess Ciri's kingdom at the same time that the Witcher sets out on his own mission. I certainly didn't mind those dual storylines. And I thought it was cleanly done, because if we keep it real, Game of Thrones' first couple episodes were mess. It's hard to introduce a bunch of fantasy elements at once, especially when you're dealing with an audience that is unfamiliar, that lack the contextual knowledge. I agree. There's a lot to take in. Fortunately, because we're reviewing it, we took notes. Yes. But I also think it's still accessible to people who aren't familiar with this world from the books or the video games. And there are really appealing characters, even small ones like Milka, who I thought was really fun. And so you will just kind of gravitate to certain characters and that will pull you deeper into this world with its deep mythology. If you like the games, there's a lot there for you because my partner, like I said, is obsessed with the video games and got a lot out of the show. And even though I enjoyed the pilot, he still could too with all of the different Easter eggs and references. Like there's significance in them choosing the town of Blaviken. There's significance in them choosing certain settings and having him interact with certain characters. And so he enjoyed it too. And one quick thing before we go into our rating, just as a warning to all of our listeners, there's a lot of violence and gore and blood. Yes, monster blood and And other people's blood. blood. Yes. (laughs) I, for my fellow babies, as I often shout them out, I had to hide under a blanket for 30% of this episode. Like they really go at it. What they're able to do with the sword. Impressive. Mm -hmm. So let's head into our final ratings for The Witcher on Netflix. Beige, what would you give it? I would give it Would Watch Again Seriously. Wow, okay. I'm typically not a fantasy genre type of person. Yeah. With the medieval vibes. But this was really cool. And I don't know how else to describe it. This was just a cool show with cool characters in a cool world. Dope. I think that I wouldn't watch again. But given you being one of my closest friends, always being at my home, and living with someone who's obsessed with The Witcher, I have no choice. So that is my rating. Awesome. You're looking forward to the next episode. Let's calm down on looking forward. But for people who like sci-fi and fantasy, especially for people who have enjoyed The Witcher games, I think you'll like this show. So speaking of violence and monsters, let's talk about another show that talks about monsters that you liked a lot. Yeah. So truth be told on Apple TV+, Plus. I think combines a lot of things that I've been into lately, podcasts, true crime, profiling, and a good murder mystery. Yes. And I thought this was pretty compelling, where they were asking the question of what is a monster in the case of this Warren Cave murder trial, and also the idea of redemption with Poppy asking herself, did my article, a profile of a monster, 
actually put the wrong person in jail? And that's a question people are always asking, was he actually innocent? And so I really like the setup for this because as Poppy says, the truth is never as dangerous as a lie in the long run. And we got to find out, did the truth actually get out there? So as background of the mystery at the center of this show, Chuck Berman was killed in his home. And one of his twin daughters says that she witnessed their neighbor's 16-year-old son, Warren Cave, jump the fence back to his home from their yard in the middle of the night, likely at the time that Chuck was killed. And so Poppy, played by Octavia Spencer, starts a series of articles calling this kid a monster, and she's nervous that her framing of the story helped get the kid tried as an adult and put him in prison for 19 years. And now she's wondering, did he do it? Because some new evidence comes out. And this isn't a heavy spoiler because it's revealed in the first maybe two, three minutes of the show that it's likely the witness testimony was coerced out of Lainey, who claimed she saw Warren leaving her yard that night. And now Poppy is feeling guilt about that because the entire case hinged on Lainey's eyewitness testimony. Yeah, so now she's kind of revitalizing this story to see if she can find something new, maybe give a new perspective with a new true crime podcast, Reconsidered, very appropriate title. (laughs) And it even leads to her now talking to Warren Cave. And I think that's where we really get to see some cool elements in the performances. Yes. When Poppy and Warren are having conversations. And it also gives us as the viewers a chance to ask the question, is Warren a monster? And not just did he commit this murder? Is he a monster because he is a Nazi? Is he a monster because we find out he goes, quote unquote, hunting in the Berman house, which is separate from murdering and There are these really tense, dramatic moments. And I think that really brings intrigue to the show, kind of heightens the situation. And that contrasts well with Poppy's personal life outside of this whole reconsidered case. Yes, there is family drama. But first, I want to say that you touched on this, but Aaron Paul and Octavia Spencer have incredible chemistry. I wrote in my notes, put them in things together. I don't care if it's a comedy. I don't care if it's another drama. I don't care if it's another show about a true crime podcast, whatever it is, those two people play off each other so well. And I'm just surprised by their chemistry. It's palpable. Yeah, they are what's selling this show. Yes. And so back to the family drama, Beach, fill us in. You know, it's very typical. She has her sisters and her dad. No one really understands what a journalist does. So she's not getting that respect. And there's also this subplot where her dad remarried a woman who's younger than her and her sisters. Y'all will recognize her as Tammy Roman from Basketball Wives, Instagram, and the Bonnet Chronicles. And she might be keeping secrets about the true status of the health of Poppy's dad. He might be going through some dementia or something similar to that. And clearly, she's not putting in the time with her family and would rather focus on this new story that she's interested in. And I thought with all of the family drama with her family, her partner Ingram, who is encouraging her to leave everything alone and just, you know, not choose the most stressful route with her podcast and her family. And with also Warren Cave's family life of his mom, Melanie, played by Elizabeth Perkins, who does as good a job as you can with just the trope of mom of suffering son. I think that there are too many storylines 
Yes. And I would rather build the intrigue around the central mystery and then have Poppy and Warren play off each other more because also building up their relationship could be cool. I 100% agree. I think they could streamline this show by cutting out the storyline with Poppy's family drama. I think they could have trimmed that completely. Yeah, her husband is all the family we need to see. Even him, he could just be in the same way that they do with women often in movies like this where men are cops or detectives or or investigators in any sense. Just, oh my gosh, baby, be safe. And that's it. Like That's all I need him to do. True. He could just be a voice on the phone. Mm Mm-hmm which would probably be an iPhone because Poppy also used Beats headphones and an Apple MacBook Air. Yes, yes, Apple plug. No, I don't need Ingram to be just a voice on the phone because he was fine. So do you want to head into our final ratings and talk more about what interests you or doesn't about this show? Okay, that's a leading question. It is. (laughs) (laughs) My final rating for the show, I think I would watch it again Maybe casually. I think the acting is incredible for the script given. Lizzie Kaplan was also great on the show. She plays both twins who witnessed or think that they witnessed Warren jumping the fence. But we've seen the crime drama storyline so many times. And I think my expectations were a little bit higher for something featuring Octavia Spencer, Aaron Paul, Lizzie Kaplan, and other like amazing actors. But it's fine. So I think I would watch again casually. I'm interested enough to know who killed the guy. It's made so clear that it's not Warren within the first two minutes. So I'm interested enough to at least know what happens there. If you want an actually very, very, very well done true crime sort of parody, then I would watch American Vandal on Netflix. Interesting. I would say people should stick with Truth Be Told. I really liked it and would watch again seriously. I felt this take on true crime is very compelling. And it reminded me of the first time I listened to Serial. Mm. Like after that first episode, I was ready. I didn't really understand the hype until I listened to it. And I think with this show, you need to watch it to really get what it's about. Mm, okay. But then you'll be ready to find out more about this Warren Cave case. I certainly want to know who done it. They've done that job well. Yeah, that's their only job. Speaking of who done it, we watched another show that starts off with a murder, very how to get away with murder style. Yeah, flash forward. Dare Me on USA featuring cheerleaders. Because that is the perfect combination, murder and cheerleaders. I mean, we laugh, but not to give away our review or our rating. This show was good. It was. It was surprisingly good. Although I think we both went in with very low expectations. Yes, we both went in with low expectations about the cheerleader murder drama. <laughs> when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so Beach, why don't you give a little background on our cheer squad? Sure. So our main cheerleaders that we'll be following are Addie and Beth, who are best friends. And the other main person in this cheer world is going to be their coach, Colette. And so they live in a small town. And Addie is really passionate about cheerleading at the moment. She used to be into basketball. And she thinks this is going to be her key to getting out of this small town, to getting a scholarship, to go to a good school. And Beth is also looking to get out of this town more because she's got family drama, divorced parents, toxic relationships, alcoholism, not good. 
But I think what's really compelling is that all of these characters are very complex. They're not just a stereotypical cheerleader that you might think of. And that's probably what surprised us the most is there's depth to everything. And the show was written by primarily women, directed by primarily women. And I think there are women creators behind it. You can just tell that it was created from that lens. Because often on teen shows, they can't wait to strip down the characters. And it feels like the male gaze of, oh, gross, even though these actors are 25, I'm staring at what are supposed to be hot 15 year olds. And that just always feels so icky. And the show, while of course, it has things like love scenes and makeout sessions and other things that teenagers on shows like this often experience, it doesn't feel like it's from the male gaze. And it doesn't feel gratuitous. Yeah, it's not about, oh, these are the pretty popular girls. Like, for example, Beth, she used to be captain of the cheerleading squad. And so you would think that she would be like the one in charge, this most popular character. But they don't limit her social status to be simply being like the hot cheerleader. She's the very complicated girl on a downward spiral who's very dependent on her best friend Mm. and who has poor relationships with all of her family members and was using cheerleading as a way of having strength and control in her life. Which is what made it especially sad when the new coach who was recruited, which we can get into that, Colette French, took the captain position away from Beth, saying that there are no captains anymore because you know that this is all she lives for and that it must have been miserable to see the coach, the new coach, give attention to her younger half-sister whom she hates. And you'll recognize her half-sister, Tacey. She's Alison Thornton from Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And I think a cool thing, since we're talking about the cheer team, the cast did a lot of the stunts themselves. So unlike Bring It On, yes, a classic movie we all love, here we're seeing more realistic cheer performances and routines. So two thoughts on that. One, everyone in the world in the universe, including aliens, need to read Gabrielle Union's book, We're Gonna Need More Wine. It's poignant and heartwarming, but also so funny and talks about how she was in Bring It On and she talked about how she can't dance. So they often had to just do super close-up shots of her face because (laughs) they just didn't have a way, I don't think the technology existed at the time, of just CGIing her face on someone's body doing the moves. And so... If you'll notice, because after reading her book about it, I watched the movie and it is just close, tight, tight shots of Gabrielle Union's face. But then also on Dare Me, Marlo Kelly, who plays Beth, and Heritzen Guardiola, who plays Addie, are so talented that they even do their own stunts. Not a knock on Gabrielle Union, because if you lack the dancing skill, you lack the dancing skill. But they are so good playing complicated teenagers. And so it was just remarkable to hear on top of that, that they are doing all these flips and high kicks. Yeah. Seamlessly, too. They have so many skills. They're going to go far. Yes. And you'll recognize Addie. She was on the criminally short-lived show on Netflix, The Get Down. She was I would strongly oh. recommend watching her on that. She really was such a heart-filled performance on that show. Okay. I think next we need to talk about the coach, Colette, and how she is wrapped up in all of these small-town politics, mm-hmm. which is also probably going to lead to whatever mystery the very beginning scene was teasing. What do you think about her 
and her being hired to come to this town. So we learn, and this is a light spoiler, that Beth's dad helped recruit her because he knew that she was the best coach in the region. And it seems like Colette's husband doesn't like that her star shines so bright everywhere they go. I'm sensing Mm -hmm. that tension between them. So the interesting part of her character is watching her be this boss with the cheerleaders to an extent that I think is messed up. Like, And it's good on this show that people are complicated. It shows that people are complicated. So in the same breath that you see her checking Beth's attitude and doing what she thinks is right for the girls and motivating them, you also see her pinch this tiny little roll of fat on this girl and say, you need to lose this. And we later see that girl purging. Casually in front of her teammates. Who help her purge. Yeah. And so you see the dark sides of her work too. But it's interesting to see her dominate those girls and then at home have to dim her shine a little bit for her husband. Yeah. And then even in between that, she seems to have a nice mentor trainee relationship with Addie specifically. I see that going weird places though. Yeah, there's some questionable vibes there because she seems to be singling out Addie. Yes. Which right now seems innocent because she's giving advice and being supportive. But I can't tell. I just don't trust her. I would like to also add that Addie's mom on the show is the pastor from the show Kim's Convenience. And Kim's Convenience is the perfect sitcom. Just need to quickly plug that. It's on Netflix. Well, aside from that, yes, we have complicated characters. I think we're going to find out a lot of interesting things about Colette. Addie and Beth discover a secret about her at the end of the episode. And there's there's a lot we still have to resolve between Addie and Beth themselves because Mm -hmm. Beth is a little unhinged. But she's also a victim of her circumstances because what an awful home life. They really lay that on thick. Like this girl is going through it. Yeah. And her mom, who she lives with, is doing nothing about it. So you feel sorry for Beth, but you also want her to step it up. And I want everyone to leave Addie alone so she can thrive and leave that town. (laughs) The only person I trust, which is why I realized I went on that tangent earlier about her mom, is her mom for Addie. I don't trust any other influences. So moral of the story, root for Addie, hope she survives. But she's complicated too. Yeah, she's not innocent either, which makes for a good show. And I think unlike on Truth Be Told, where they introduced... I would argue too many threads on Dare Me. They introduce quite a few storylines, but they're all interwoven nicely. So you can tell that whatever conclusion we'll get to see at the end of the series, it won't be complicated. It's all going to come together. You just feel it. Yeah. And that actually hints at my rating. We're going to transition to that. Yes. Beach, what would you rate Dare Me? So I would also watch this show seriously. And what I really like is because it's set in a small town. Everyone is connected, but not in a like contrived way. It all makes sense. Yes. How their careers and jobs and futures involve each other. And I really want to see how they're going to affect each other and lead up to whatever this big event is three months in the future. I think this show is an exciting take on the typical small town drama. I love that you said that, that it's not contrived. It just makes sense how they're all related. So I would also watch again seriously. I don't know if that's already come across to our listeners, but just to confirm it, I am in on Dare Me. Awesome. So do you want to talk about some other reckless behavior? Yes. You mean wreck-filled behavior on 
fast and furious spy racers. So, Beach, tell our listeners what happened in Fast and Furious Spy Racers, an animated show on Netflix. Yes, because we do all genres of TV. So this is a spinoff of the awesome Fast and Furious franchise. Awesome. I like the movies. Oh, really? Yes. So you're familiar with the storyline. There's not a strong storyline. Okay. But yes. Go ahead. The main thing that you need to know is Dom Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, is the main character in the movies. Mm -hmm. And this spinoff is about his younger cousin, Tony Toretto. And a big theme in Fast and Furious is family and sticking together and that bond. And in particular, the Toretto family bond. And you don't have to have the last name Toretto to be a part of the Toretto family. That makes sense. So in this series, we have Tony and his friends. He has a nice little group of buddies, Frosty, Echo, and Cisco. They're street racers. They keep challenging the kind of bully bad guy character, Mitch. And it turns out they're following in the footsteps of Tony's cousin, Dom, who, after being a street racer, starts to go on missions for the government and take down bad guys. So now they are teenagers who are working for a mysterious organization, Shifter, under the guidance of Miss Nowhere. And now they're going to be spies because Dom Toretto is too well known to go on this mission. So Miss Nowhere is recruiting his cousin and his cousin's friends who are unknown teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you need to know. So that's my question about the show. They're kids, right? Who are told to see through this mission? Yes. They're kids, three of whom we've seen driving cars, and one of whom has specifically said, I am not old enough to drive. Okay. And another thing that surprised me was that Vin Diesel is actually voices his own character. So he's heavily involved in the show. Yes. And he has that weird, uncanny valley, like animated version of himself. One thing I loved about the show is that the women were the coolest characters, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that was an intentional move by executive producer Vin Diesel and Netflix, because Echo is this dope spy. Layla runs the races. We can get into her a little bit. And then Frosty is this tech genius. And then we have Miss Nowhere, who is a cool spy, but then (laughs) also hire children to, to infiltrate a gang. But... It's cool that, to me, they're the most compelling characters. The cutest character, in my opinion, was Cisco because we both love cup holders. But the women kicked butt. Yeah, I agree. They were the strongest characters that came across in this episode. Tony, I think he has all those characters of your leading man. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a little generic right now. Yeah. So hopefully they'll develop him. I didn't actually like his uh, interactions with the bully character, Mitch. Yeah. Because they were all just picking on him, and he seemed pretty helpless. I don't really like those type of situations. But my favorite character was definitely Layla Gray, who we see at the very end. She's the one running these underground races. I knew she would be your favorite. Why is that? You love a secretive, mysterious character. Listeners, feel free to email in and pile on. BJ always loves the shifty character. I like the person who knows a lot more than everyone else. Yes. Seems to be in control. Yes. And just has it all together. Mm -hmm. I'm just finding role models. I know. I know. I've known you for 10 years now. I know. Anyway, I think one thing that's important to point out is that I didn't even think about this, but the car chase scenes 
aren't as thrilling in an animated format as they are in the movies because I know it's not a real car. (laughs) It's so low stakes. Yes. And that might be fine for kids, but for an adult, I don't get that same adrenaline rush I do from seeing real cars driving around. You know who loves the Fast and Furious franchise real quick? Roxanne Guy. So it makes me want to revisit the franchise because she has written one of my favorite books, which is Hunger. They're fun, just full action movies. I think I've seen one of them. They all make like a billion dollars. Where have you been? I know there are certain listeners, let me know if this is you too, but I think there are certain franchises that I accidentally missed. I've never seen the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and I've never seen Fast and Furious. I had never seen the Spider-Man movies until this Tom Holland kid. Like, I think there are just universes of big franchises that I've missed out on. Which is really surprising because, listeners, Me Too goes to the movies a lot. A lot. I love movies. But going back to the show... Do kids understand even remotely the stakes here? What is the appeal of Fast and the Furious for babies? This is seven and up. Like this is for second graders. They like seeing racing, cool looking cars. Speaking as a former seven-year-old child, Mm -hmm. I like seeing cool cars. I liked the idea of being a spy. I think Spy Kids came out when we were around that age. Oh, I wanted to be a spy so badly Fun fact, I went to the opening of the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., and I made my uncle buy me a spy kit, and I would practice drops around Washington, D.C., which is so wasteful because I would waste things from the kit, practicing if I could successfully, like, surreptitiously drop things for someone else to pick them up. So that definitely appeals to kids in this age group. But I would have preferred a direct spy joint like Spy Kids. I don't know that I would have gotten sucked into Fast and Furious spy racers. And I think they also like the idea of cool technology. We see drones. That's true. They talk about the dark web and, you know, advanced technology going into all of these cars. They literally put rocket boosters on one of the kids' cars. And again, (laughs) one of the kids' cars. One of the (laughs) 16-year-olds. They're kids. (laughs) They have to be at least 16. I, yeah, I guess, I guess they're at least 16 and one of them isn't. Yeah, that's all we can really say about their age. So, Beach, what would you rate Netflix's Fast and Furious Spy Racers? You know, I'm going to give this a would not watch again. I'd have to agree. But I would just say we are not the target audience. Mm -hmm. We no longer or may never have been interested in animated street racing. And we've moved on from wanting to be spies. One of us has moved on. One of us is keeping our options open. Oh. But if there are children in your life, this is a fun animated show that you could watch with them. And it could still be engaging for adults in the room, too. Yes. Cool. So speaking of wild driving, reckless policing, relying on the wrong characters to exact justice, let's talk about Fox's Deputy. Beach can give us a rundown on that one. Sure. So Deputy is about a reckless cowboy turned sheriff. And I think that really summarizes the entire show. It does. There's nothing else we need to say about it. Yeah. So the main character, Bill Hollister, he loves the rugged lifestyle, cowboy boots, using a revolver instead of the standard issue handgun. And he just wants to be a hero, 
I guess. He doesn't want to be bogged down by policies and regulations and protocols. And he's played by True Detective's Stephen Dorff. And I think the actor, given the story and the script he's given, does a good job with it. I assume he's being told to play an over-the-top Western character dropped into the year 2020 to be an L.A. County cop. And he does that. And I think that hits at what I notice is that all of these characters fit a stereotypical mold. Yes. They do it well. The acting is well done, but the actual characters are a little simple with what drives them. Like... For his character, the idea is, like BJ said, he always wants to be the hero. So the show opens with him in front of a tribunal getting reprimanded for tipping off a community that an ICE raid was coming because he declared to the courtroom, we are all immigrants, which is a false statement. But he said that the ICE raid and... It's a false statement, not because we are anti-immigration on the pilot podcast, <laughs> but not everyone is an immigrant. Some folks are native to this place. Some folks were brought here. We are not all immigrants. Now, <laughs> he says that because he says that his job is to fearlessly defend the community. And that includes undocumented people who he doesn't see as needing to have their lives turned upside down by ICE. And so he will tip them off every single time and protect them from those mass deportations. But turn around, he becomes sheriff because of an archaic rule that says that the longest serving member of the mounted posse gets sworn in when the sheriff dies in office. And so he is the longest serving member of the mounted posse and now the unlikely sheriff of L.A. County, which is a huge deal. It is the biggest sheriff's office in the country, according to Wikipedia. So in the same breath that he's protecting the community from ice raids, he also asks a deputy to shred all of the use of force records on cops because he has the most. And he doesn't want any cops suspended or chained to their desk because of use of force infractions. Yeah, as he says, I like to do dumb things. That's the theme of the show. I don't want to come out as super anti this show. Okay. But I would like us to talk about your favorite moment, which is his friend Cade and that kid. Okay. So we have Cade. It's one of Bill's two close friends who he gives special treatment to. Cade, played by Cougar Town's Brian Van Holt, and Rachel, played by Jericho's Sienna Goins. And we find out that Cade and his wife, they've been trying to conceive and that adoption is an op and he was a foster child along with his sister. And so Bill, Cade, and Rachel find out where the criminal of the week is Oscar. Mm -hmm. They break into this home, literally a house where people are living and there are drugs. And they come in shooting. No one has shot at them. They open the door, throw in like a smoke bomb and then come in shooting. To a residence. Kate ends up in a bedroom, pinning down one of the guys. He takes down one of the guys, looks over, and cowering in the corner is this young boy and girl who <sighs> turns out to be the children of this man that he's just taken down. In front of them. Right, in front of them. They saw this whole thing. They are scared. And then by the end of the episode, Kate and his wife adopt these two children because Bill pulled some strings. The kids are so scared. I'm sorry, guys, this is a long story. It just will show you what this show is really about. The kids are so scared that 
The boy is staying awake by his sister is sleeping because they don't trust these new parents. Because they killed the parent that they know. And Cade comes in and is like, I get it. You want revenge. You're mad at me. But look, you're too small and too weak to kill me now. And I'm too good. So just live a happy life with us until you grow up. And then one day, you'll be strong enough to try and kill me. And that was played for a sentimental moment and a laugh. And in any other setting would have been the beginning of a horror movie. But it was heartwarming. It shows that they're bonding. You're supposed to giggle like, (laughs) he killed their dad and he might kill them when they turn 18 and attempt to kill him. Fun. He might wipe out an entire lineage of a family. A healthy foster relationship. Just silly things that happen on that zany show deputy where they ride in on horses and kill whole families. Can we talk about the horses? So there's another scene where Kate is with Bishop and they're going on like the second raid of the episode. Bishop is played by Bax Taylor Kloss and I think they are the most interesting character on the show. Definitely. Easily. Yeah, easily. Can you explain to me why riding in on horseback was the most efficient way to save this kidnapped child? Yeah, because of the roads. Because of the roads. Yeah, because of the roads. Because, you know, the roads. So it was easier because of the the not roads that you can go on with horses. Horses can go on anything. They don't need roads. And that's why. Can human feet go on anything? Well, you don't have four of them. Oh, you're right. 50-50, heads or tails, binary. That's, <laughs> that's another thing that becomes a cute moment of the show. It's interesting to see Brian Van Holt in this light because I, I recently watched Cougar Town last year and he was such a lovable goofball on that show. And on this show, he is taken more seriously, but I think is as dumb as the character on Cougar Town. And one of the themes of the show is he just says, everything is a 50-50 chance. It's all binary, flip of a coin, even including things that are explicitly explained as not 50-50. As the 10% chance that your in vitro fertilization will work. 50-50. It's all binary, baby. You know what I've just realized? What? We've spoken a lot about Cade. We've spoken a lot about Bishop. I think another character that stood out was Joseph. He has an interesting connection to Bill. Yes. But we don't have much to say about Bill, the main character. I just wasn't that interested in Bill. Yeah, he's surrounded by more interesting people, including his wife. Yes, his wife is a surgeon. There are a couple cool moments with her that I will give to Deputy where she's not just the long-suffering wife of someone who is in a dangerous job. She herself is a surgeon, and she has pushed back on police a couple times she pushes back on police a couple times in this first episode in order to administer proper care. And she's played by Yara Martinez of Jane the Virgin and The Tick and so much more. And so she's great in this role. I just wish that she had more. And I hope that this is only the first episode. So I hope that her character gets developed further as the show progresses. And for Joseph, one of the first things that Bill does in the show is swear Joseph in as a deputy. And we learn that That is Bill's former partner's son, and he gives Joseph his former partner's badge when he swears him in. And he was a real star in this episode. He's the one who got all the key information and got beat up to get it. Yes. Unlike the folks who needed tricks and stunts like horses, Joseph actually got the job done, got the clues, got torn up for it, 
saved a life. And made connections that he'll be able to use as he progresses in his policing career. And at the end of all of that trauma and torture, Bill now says, I can't fire you. You can't quit, Joseph. You have to stay on the force now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to just rate it? Yeah, I would not watch again. Me neither. And I don't recommend it to our listeners. I don't recommend it. I can see the appeal. I get why Fox made this, but uh, yes, there are better options. If you like Westerners, just watch Gunsmoke. Just watch the classics. I don't think you need to watch the show. If you like folksy hometown heroes, watch one of my favorite shows, The Andy Griffith Show. Ooh. I love The Andy Griffith Show. That's good. I used to be able to do the whistle when I was a kid, but now I just don't think that we need deputy. Yeah, there are better hometown heroes. There are better crime dramas. They're just better shows. So now, Beach, let's go to the stars. And by the stars, you mean Astronomy Club, the sketch show on Netflix. Yes. So Astronomy Club was the first project created by the blackish creator Kenya Barris as part of his $100 million Netflix deal. And they're an improv group who are doing these sketches a la Black Lady Sketch Show, which is another show I love, which we'll do in our deep dive episode for supporting cast. And they come from Upright Citizens Brigade, which is that improv group that was co-founded by Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and other folks. Yeah, so we have a good group of comedians. It's a sketch show like Me Too is describing, so you see a lot of fun skits throughout the episode with some moments in between. I think we should just start with our favorite sketches. Yeah. Beach, what was yours? My favorite one was about an organization called Dignity and Ambition for Magical Negroes. Or damn. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of put a spin on like an AA meeting, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, where these black characters from different movies and TV shows who are whose only purpose had been to provide advice to the white characters and support the white narrative are now learning how to be their own lead characters in their own lives. The scene where they had the guy from Green Mile running through droves of sick white people and refusing to touch them made me laugh so hard. That was one of my first big laughs of watching the show. I thought this was also just a good concept. I personally never would have thought about taking that group of characters. Yes. And kind of spinning it on how can we make their lives better since all they've been doing is making white people's lives better. It was such an interesting way to put everyone in the same room from The Help and Driving Miss Daisy and Green Mile and Poltergeist. The Driving driving Miss Daisy scene, y'all, we don't need to ruin all the jokes, but that was funny. Or the self-portrait. Okay, so you just need to watch it. It's not as funny as if if we describe everything, but that was my highlight. Me too. What was your favorite sketch? My favorite sketch. So Damn is up there for me as well. They were all great, but I have to give it to Edge 911. (laughs) Basically, the premise of the sketch is this woman has sweat out her edges under her wig. She receives emergency trauma care to revive her edges. And the (laughs) doctors around her are debating what to do with her edges. And it's so funny because they fully commit. I think that's what you need in sketch shows is Mm -hmm. these improbable scenarios. And so you need them to fully suck you in and for you to believe the stakes. And so 
when they delivered lines, I wrote them down like, I will not lose another hairline on my watch. And then (laughs) when they were debating what to do with the hairline and if this like milder treatment will hold, the woman goes, it is the middle of August, the minute she walks out of here. And (laughs) it just because of the humidity, like it won't hold. They delivered it with such gravitas and seriousness that I loved it. It made me really, really, really cackle. Also another very clever concept. Yes. And then the other sketches were great too. There was the one of letting people into the building. So they played on, Mm. you know, all of these viral videos. I've experienced this as well in my own day-to-day life of white people not letting black people into buildings because they don't believe that they're their neighbors. And so they escalate it. So this white woman was hesitant to let in members of the astronomy club who are all black, but then they were hesitant to let in a vampire and he was hesitant to let in a clove of garlic so it was just funny to see that escalation it reminded me of the kimmy schmidt sketch where titus found life easier in new york when he was dressed as a werewolf and then there were other great sketches a play on what happens to gingerbread men in gingerbread homes and there was this great robin hood sketch about a white robin hood robbing from a rich black family but then it gets complicated from there i don't want to give too much away but they were all really funny yeah a good collection a good strong start but i have to say the strongest element and i think we agree on this was yes the in-between moments so outside of the sketch performances the whole team are living this mock reality show life in a house together with you know twin beds that they have to share <laughs> And they have their like one-on-one confessional interviews talking about their day. They even spoof like The Bachelor. And you had your favorite moment with not my favorite character. Do you want to talk about that? I don't want to give away what happens, but y'all keep your eye on James when you watch this first episode because the conclusion reminded me of something BJ would do. And that's all I'll say. That's why he was my favorite. You and I both loved Monique and I loved Ray. But I thought that those interstitials of them playing that reality show spoof and in the one-on-ones, all of them had different interpretations for why their sketch group was called Astronomy Club. I thought that was a funny running joke. (laughs) And what was your favorite line again from that? We're black and all stars. And like most stars, nobody knows our name. So we're the Astronomy Club. Perfect. And I thought those interstitials were so good that genuinely, they could be their own show where we could just watch 10 minute episodes of them in that reality show, like six episodes. I would watch that on Netflix. It would be great if they do like a little spinoff mini series of just this pretend reality series. Just like that reality show that BJ and I were obsessed with, Marching Orders, which was like 12 minute episodes. They could do the same thing of 12 minute episodes, six episode season of just them in that house. Because I my biggest laughs, I think, were from the interactions in the home. Yeah, those are my favorite moments. The little one lighters in the confessionals. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm with Monique. I would make it a competition, even Everything if it's not is. a competition. Absolutely. That's how you win. Even when there is nothing to win. Because there's something to win always. Life lesson, you guys. So, me too. What would you give Astronomy Club, the sketch show on Netflix? This is no secret to our listeners. I love a comedy. I love a black comedy. I would watch this again seriously. I would also recommend it to you whether or not you are black. This show is just very funny. I believe it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as of this recording. It's just very good. If you like comedy, you'll love this. 
And as some of our longtime listeners know, I don't necessarily gravitate towards comedy. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a little more lukewarm. I will probably watch while doing laundry. Actually, I'll probably watch when Me Too texts me and says, this one sketch in this one episode was really funny. And then I'll watch that. So you can find a friend like that. That'll make it a lot easier. Find a me, y'all. Everyone should have a Me Too. Aw, Beach. Everyone should have a BJ. Well, we're one of a kind, so that can't happen. Well, where can people hear more of our one-of-a-kind episodes of the Pilot Podcast? Sure. We're on all of your favorite podcast platforms, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. You can also find all of our latest episodes at thepilotpodcast.com, and we actually have a new show for 2020 called the pilot podcast deep dive where we're going to do a deep dive into a single series and really give you our full opinion and even more opinions and you can subscribe to that by going to join.thepilotpodcast.com powered by supporting cast and either sign up as a super tv fan or an ultimate tv fan to get access to that content you can also follow us on twitter and on instagram at the pilot pod you can send thoughts, feelings, show recommendations, your favorite shows of the six that we reviewed today to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.